you know this really healthy thing we made? Yeah, we're going to make it less healthy. That's like the White Claws or whatever that is. Yep. You like sparkly water? water. What if you got drunk off of it? (laughs) I'm glad that I quit drinking when alcohol was pure. (laughs) (laughs) Same with smoking. Now there's all these vape and alcoholic water and all these weird approaches to things that were really straightforward. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I'm Lacey, and today we've got Derek and Tom and Mark. Woo! Bam. How's everybody? How's everybody feeling today? Actually, just Derek, how are you feeling today? I feel great. I have a cracked rib. <laughs> Supposedly. Allegedly. We, we allegedly. I could, I could use that. How did you allegedly rib. get a cracked rib? Well, in a fit of errant bravery, I decided to go down some terrain on my skis and, for lack of a better term, made a boo-boo. What what else would you do on skis? Other than make boo-boos? Or go down terrain. Brave boo-boos. So, yeah, I landed on my ski or my pole, one of the two. How bad did it hurt in the moment? Zero to ten. In the moment, I think my embarrassment Mm. was like a great painkiller in the time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm good. I'm fine. And I was fine the rest of the day, but towards like the evening i felt it and it's two weeks later now and you're still feeling and it. i'm still feeling it it hurts mm-hmm. to lay down and that's not good because you know what you have to do when you lay down sleep <laughs> hard to do in pain hard to do in pain very hard is that why you're oh never mind <laughs> no, I, get confused. I get confused by these waters now i was i was gonna make a joke about alcoholic water but it's caffeinated, it's caffeinated water, water so waters become more complicated than it needs to be <laughs> All right. Well, let's uncomplicate things. Can you just go to the mailbag and see yes. what we've got? What we've got from the community questions. All right. right now. I put face ID on the mailbag this time, so it's just going to open right up. For and you. it opens right up, just Amazing. like that. It's incredible. <laughs> wow. Technology. So we'll kick it off with this one. What is your hobby, or what is your hobby that most enhances your life? I'm just going with like all the useless hobbies I have now, and now I'm really questioning whether or not they enhance my life or not. This is a very existential question. Does spending time outside? count as a hobby i guess that depends how you do it does it you just stand outside and go back inside <laughs> walk into like, the mailbox yeah you know going for walks looking at stars like being outside Stargazing. looking at the sky i guess if like you're going there to me voluntarily because you want to yeah then that counts as a hobby right but like me going out to my car is not a hobby i mean Agreed. working outside being locked outside or whatever. Your keys inside <laughs> and having to stand outside. That's not a hobby. Like spending time outside is the hobby I think affects my life the most. It's what centers me and grounds me mm-hmm. intentionally going and spending time in nature. If I'm sitting next to a river, if I'm looking up at the sky, laying on the ground, if I'm, you know, looking at the moon, these are the things that kind of bring me back to like, oh yeah. All those things that you were thinking about and worried about inside, really, they don't really matter. Very insignificant in the grand scope of things. Yes. Look at the moon. (laughs) Girl, you've got inside problems. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's a very good one, actually. I like that a lot. Anything outdoorsy is a great hobby. I would say reading is probably the thing that Mm -hmm. benefits my life the most. I read all the time or as much as I can, never as much as I want. And yeah, I mean, even reading just purely for escapism is still 
enhances your life and fulfills you in ways and helps you grow. And if nothing else, your mind is unconsciously absorbing the way people have formatted words or, mm-hmm. you know, the way people are expressing ideas that's different than you. And there's really no, well, I, I can't say that, but re- reading is probably my most beneficial hobby. How many books do you read a year? Do you I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> I'm definitely not that guy that, you know, I read X number of books a month. I'm mm-hmm. super well learned. You know, half the books I read are just fantasy and sci-fi fun and but and it probably varies a lot some years i bet i read five times more than the years before because mm-hmm. i'm this into something else or it's whatever just green but. eggs and ham <laughs> over and <laughs> over and some over. of that yeah <laughs> but Hop yeah on pop. I, lo- I love to read okay what about you mark oh boy i don't read as much as i would like to but i do a lot of audio books and is that the hobby that impacts your life the most remember this, we got to come back to the question here is it a hobby or is it a discipline? There's a really blurred line between what I do as a hobby and what I do here. I kind of exist in one plane mm-hmm. all the time. I don't really have very many outside hobbies that impact me. I flow from one state to another. So like I'll be working. I'm very good at taking breaks now. And as of the past, like eight weeks, <laughs> professional break taker. As of. Yeah, that's right. But what that means is I'm on like exercising on the Peloton at the same time. I'm like actively listening to an audiobook or a master class mm-hmm. or something like that. So I'm trying to multitask. I don't know if that's a hobby. I just do that type of thing all day. I think exercise could definitely be a hobby. I mean, I think exercise could be a hobby, but I don't think it's Mark's hobby. I do a lot of it now. I do it every day, seven days a week now. Does that count? Take that, It's just not very long. I guess you're right. I mean... 25 minutes. And I'm not that guy. It's an hour, two hours. Do you do it to feel better? Two hours. (laughs) Do you do it to, like, feel better? Like... Because when I exercise, I'm like, my goal is to feel better, not necessarily... I'm a different dude, yeah. Like, I hate it when I'm doing it, Mm -hmm. but I don't... So that's why I distract myself with the Audible, you know book or the master class so I don't have to think about what my body's doing. And then usually an hour and a half after I've done that, I feel great. Mm-hmm. Like my body was like, oh man, this little burst of energy. I feel great. Mm-hmm. I also drink a lot more water than I used to. So, so good. yeah, I've got some new disciplines. Nice. Hobbies? I don't know. World don't, of Warcraft. I do I do huh? a little video game stuff. I'm a little burnt on that that one right now, but I guess that's a hobby. That's more like escapism for yeah. me. That is a hobby, but mm-hmm. it does, I don't think it's added a lot to my life. I would say it's added quite a bit to the way I think about what we do here when we build worlds. And so I kind of hyperanalyze the games that I play now, which makes it more like work. It also kind of like unhooks, is it a hobby anymore? Yeah. It like kind of unhooks your brain, right? Like it, it like maybe it's like a, a brain rotting, quote unquote. Thing, maybe, but the disconnect is nice. Maybe the best, maybe World of Warcraft is your best hobby because it's the only thing in the world that has managed to get you out of like mm-hmm. growth mode. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like That's a very good observation. Yeah, it's like like Roundup. You know, when you spray it on weeds, it kills them by overgrowing them, right? <laughs> like that's literally how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like what it does is it causes it to grow itself to death. Mm. Yikes! And I feel like that's kind of what you're saying is like if when you're a workaholic, like I have been for so many years getting out of that is kind of a healthy hobby. Mm-hmm. So I would say in that way, it's probably true. Bless you. I don't World of think Warcraft. it's the, probably the, <laughs> well, I don't think it's probably the best one. Like I have to limit myself there as well. Yeah. 
there's a healthy amount to consume. And right? I do read. I do read too, but I get sleepy when I read, regardless of what time of the day it is. Me too. And so I find that the Audible books, like I will blow through those. Like I'll, I'll do, you know, four or five of those a month. Whereas <laughs> reading what? That was you blowing through. Yeah, you just oh, blew right yeah. through that. I'm literally like a dandelion. I blow Sound through them like dandelions. <laughs> Whereas if I read one, you know, that book will sit there for two months and I don't get it done because I can't, I fidget, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, All I, right, what I, about, I, I what about your hobbies, Derek? I've really gotten into like listening to full albums and like at the end of the day I've heard people talking about this yeah i know it's a thing i've never been an album listener it's actually really interesting because you know with technology the way it is and like itunes the whole idea of like you can buy one song and move on with your life and it's kind of destroyed the art of the album because mm-hmm. you figure like there's a lot that goes into picking certain tracks and putting them in certain orders to kind of complete the entire experience and so, you know, what I like to do in the evening is go through and pick out a record and just like sit down with a cup of tea at night, dim the lights, you know, really get into the groove and just listen to a record. It's really nice. It's, it's like detaching. The groove of the, the record. The record. up. Oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> so good. Did I attend the pun? No. Will I take it? Yes. yes. <laughs> but that's what I've been doing. It's really nice. Are you actually listening on vinyl? Yes. Out of boy. If you're going to listen to albums... Front, like cover to cover, it's definitely got to be on vinyl because mm. that's the most cohesive experience. And I'd also, like you're see... listening to literal grooves in a plastic vinyl record, and it's making sound that goes into your ears. And it's just it's fast fascinating. I would about. watch a live stream of Derek grooving with tea to a record in the evening. I'm just saying. I will live stream it. No, do you do. wear headphones when you? Yes. Cool. Absolutely. Headphones, lights, like it has to be an experience for me. Mm. Last night it was Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Very bizarre album, but very fun. (laughs) All right, what else we got in there? Let's see, number two. When you finish a project, do you ever wish you could start over and redo it? Truly get it right using all the knowledge you've gained or are you always ready to move on to the next thing? It's a good question. Let her rip, Mark. Yes, is the answer. Really? Both of those things at the same time. There are no projects I think I've ever finished and said, this is perfection, right? Like, I'm like, oh man, like if I could go back and tweak Vindication in this way, or if I could tweak this aspect of this project, but it's not enough to push me out of the path of the new thing because that was a stage of my life. That was a project and it is whole Mm -hmm. by itself, even with its imperfections. And sometimes I think the imperfections make it perfect. And and, and that's, I know deep, but I I think (laughs) unnecessarily deep, I know. (laughs) Sorry to go deep guys. Um, I think there's no such thing as perfect. And so the expectation of that is unrealistic there are things, you know, regret is a is a heavy word. I don't think I have necessarily regrets because if you have regrets, then you need to go back and change it before you finish it, right? But when it's done and you're not going to go back and change it because you have no regret, I think you move forward and you go on to the next thing. Sometimes I think when you do that and you reflect back, 
you oftentimes will think, well, I'm actually glad I didn't go change that because my feelings on it have changed Mm -hmm. because of what other people have experienced. Mm. I think the observation of growth too, because I've gone back and looked at some website designs I made, you know, no more than five years ago. And I go, Mm -hmm. big yikes. But then at the same time, I'm like, wow, I've come a long ways. Mm -hmm. Like that is something to like appreciate. Do you remember those flash sites that you found that I did like- The mind lightning one. In like early 2000s. It like unlocked, like it had like an emblem in the center and it like turned counterclockwise. and It was all flash. It was all, yeah, it was, I would show you guys, you would respond. They're pretty. (laughs) (laughs) They were something. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Yeah, I agree completely with everything you guys are both saying. The only time I ever wish I could really go back and redo something is not stuff that we do here at work. Because here I'm always right, like, yes, I would do things differently, but I'm always so excited about the next thing and to take the lessons we learned and pour them into the new thing and keep the passion going. Where that's not always true is projects as a homeowner. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know how to do anything, but YouTube does. So I you know, read things online and watch YouTube. And it's like, okay, here's how to fix this problem with your electrical or plumbing or build this thing or whatever. And every time I do it, now I'm done. It's like, okay, now I know how to do that. I did it really poorly learning how to like frame this door in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it looks awful. I shouldn't have done and that. And so the next time I do it, I'll be much better. I'll probably never do it again because I learned how to do it to do it this one time. And now I just have to move on to the next thing. And so mm-hmm. like, my home is just a series of me learning to do things that I'll never have to do again. So all the entire house is just my learning experiences, how do, how but does, no knowledgeable experience like work ever being done. How does Dinah manage in your learning house? She's very gracious with me. Okay. <laughs> At some point, she's just going to burn the house down. Yeah. You've learned enough, Tom. I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel very similar. There are moments that I wish I could take back and do differently. Usually that happens when I'm feeling some sort of heightened emotion. You know, I make a choice based on a feeling and I make it quickly. Those are the kind of things I would like to have a redo on. But when we're talking about projects as a whole, it almost feels like my career is like one big project and it's just iteration after iteration after iteration. I listen back to content that we've created. And I think looking back, I would choose to say less in that moment than I chose to say next time I'm going to try to say less. So with that in mind, what's the next question? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's the last one, right? We got one more. We got one more. What is the failing that caused the most growth in your life? Mm. (laughs) Being born. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Entering it in the first place. (laughs) Whoops. Mm, This is deep. Gosh, I don't even think I could pinpoint like one particular instance in which I've fallen flat on my face plenty of times, I think. I mean, I don't know if I'll you do it again. call it a failure, but, you know, in my early adulthood and my marriage, I was not very good at boundaries. I wasn't very good at finding boundaries that were important to me and then communicating them properly. And I would say that that's probably one of the biggest things that led to the breakdown of that part of my relationship and my life is being able to actually find the boundaries inside me and put them out properly and hold them properly. So that's a failing that I think I have worked very hard at fixing. And I think I am much, much better at it now. And my life looks better because of it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I kind of have two answers to this. I mean, one, I have a history of substance abuse struggles that 
are a big product of the man I've become. And I don't think I would necessarily not have experienced those things because I think I'm a better person because of them, but Mm -hmm. they definitely constitute a failure. But then just on a broader level, I think I had a period of my early adult life that you could probably sum up as failure to launch. Like I just got caught in some strange grooves and never really became the person that I really wanted to be and just kind of treaded water for a while, even though I worked my butt off on a lot of different things. It just was never the right things. I was never pointed in the right direction. I just was kind of spinning your tires a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't like it wasn't even that I didn't have my head on straight or that things weren't clicking. Like I just wasn't on the right path yet. And, you know, it's sort of like once I landed on the right path, it's like, ah, here we go. And just Mm. all of a sudden thing, you know, things felt differently. But there's a good decade there where I just was kind of working really hard on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. It's like tires Uh, spinning until they find grip. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, You're just getting a sick burnout ready. I I sick burned out for like a decade. (laughs) Tell us about your failings, Mark. I'm perfect, so. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just mentioned I was perfect. What else, <laughs> what else is new? No, I I still need time to think. I don't know about any particular ones, but I think the moments in my life where I feel like I've gained the most ground after epic failures have a couple things in common. One of them is when I've come to the point where I don't blame anybody else and I'm able to look at a situation where it would be really easy to be a victim mm. or that circumstance rocked me and use that as an excuse. Even in the instances where that is primarily the case, I think if you look back and you say, well, here's how I could have navigated or framed that, and you use that as a positive, those are the moments where I've gained the most ground after, that have given me the most lift. There's not enough time in this podcast to go through all the tremendous failures where I've let people down or hurt people or like we'll post a list in the people. show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Bulleted yeah. list to follow. No, it's gonna be a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> Download Mark's failings here. Yeah. It's in a zip I, file. Oh no. <laughs> I, I do things the hard way. I'll I'll be honest. I mean, I go full bore into the wrong direction sometimes and It's taken a long time to kind of navigate how to turn failures into part of the success process for me. And usually what I'm trying to do now is become more aware of the ones that I'm doing now so that I can get there faster Mm -hmm. so that I don't have to like reflect a year from now on all the all the crap I'm doing sideways right now. Can I start to navigate with, you know, preemptive strikes that would be the way I would answer that question. I don't think there's an you know one devastating moment where you know I let that person die on the side of the road and I feel really bad. That's you know there's <laughs> there's at least I, been at least twelve of those. In my, no, I'm kidding. That's how I constantly feel about the, my kids' fish. You know, like their tank is always dirty, and I'm like, I'm so sorry for my failings every day. <laughs> their tank's just, it's just full of dead fish all the time. <laughs> all right, Derek, you come up with what? Will you come up with something? I think I'm just perfect, honestly. That's what we That's think true. too. We've That's always we told you too. that. I know. My my, what do they call it? A reality distortion field. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. becoming real. Um, no, Mark, you brought up something really, really profound. I was kind of struggling to find the answer, but you mentioned frames. And the ability to 
kind of take a situation, especially situations of adversity, and spin it and put a different frame on it. I think that's a, a great skill to be able to obviously acknowledge the failing or regret that you have, but you know, not necessarily dwell on it and put a different frame on it to either, you know, provide some growth opportunities or, you know, reflect on it and have something you can look at later. Life is like an art museum. Mm-hmm. Says the guy who can't name a single failing. <laughs> I said I'm perfect, but <laughs> apparently I'm perfectly imperfect. Am I right? Which is perfect. Which is perfect. I'm just perfect. It's hard to be humble, isn't it? <laughs> it's so hard. All right. So let's take us into our main topic for today. Okay. Why I have gathered you all here together today. <laughs> oh, please always introduce it like, like a crazy preacher of some like strange alien religion. We are here together today. <laughs> What's it from? Princess Bride. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about mentors. Okay. So I brought, actually, who brought this topic to the table? I don't know who brought this topic. Well, it was Lacey or Mark. Okay. Or Teresa. I quit. Um, <laughs> her hand shot up over there, so I'm going to say... Oh, you were cheating. <laughs> you can see her. But then she also said, I don't want to be part of that one, which is kind of funny. I'm just going to bring that up right now. <laughs> She's like, this is the topic I'm bringing up, but I'm not going to be on it. Thank you. Do you want me to define mentors for you? What? you want me to define it for you? Give us the perfect oh, definition. Derek would perfect like to Derek. define what a mentor is. Yes, please do so. Mentos are a brand of packaged scotch mints <laughs> sold in stores and vending machines. How dare first you? produced in 1932. How dare you do this? <sighs> <laughs> Could you All do right. a mentor now? <laughs> I, I got to Google it now. Oh, God. M-E- well, let me tell you why, N- why I'm interested in this. Okay. A lot of us have had different experiences. Some of us have had mentors officially, some unofficially. And I'm curious in what's the best way to do it, right? Are there, how many ways are there to have a mentor? How many ways has it gone well? How many ways has it gone poorly? And I was especially interested in what the community had to say about this. And we did get quite a bit of feedback from the community. And so we've got some of those quotes that we'll be able to share to you. But first, Derek, will you please give us the actual definition? (laughs) An experienced and trusted advisor. Okay. So there's the real dictionary definition. Is that from a dictionary? It was from Siri. And Siri (laughs) Siri knows all, I guess. Who knows where she brought it from? So bubblegum definition of mentor. (laughs) John Nordstrom from the community said, a mentor is a friend who has more wisdom than you about something you desperately want to know more about. I thought that was a pretty good definition overall, better than Siri, in my opinion. Feedback on that? Anybody have a different definition of what they would call a mentor? Except I would remove the word friend. Okay. I have had people in my life and career who have mentored me or influenced me in a positive way or challenged me to grow that I absolutely didn't like. Mm. And at the time, didn't even realize they were mentors sometimes. So I don't think them being your friend is not a requirement. Okay. That makes very good sense. I like the piece. What weird face are you making at me, (laughs) my friend? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Everybody's looking at me, so I guess it's my turn. Say something profound. I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) I was raised under the shroud that you know a mentor was limited to somebody who was going to help you in your craft right i want to be a blacksmith so i'm going to go be the apprentice to the blacksmith and he will be my mentor (laughs) but that is not the case and i think some people have 
disparate or very different views of mentors, just like they will, you know, with therapy or counseling or those types of things. Oh, well, you only need therapy if you're broken, if you're busted. Well, you know, we all busted. (laughs) Um, So over the years, I guess my view on mentorship has changed. I have taken it upon myself to seek mentors in specific areas. And I can't tangibly kind of project how valuable that is until you do it. I do think it doesn't necessarily have to be a friend, but I think it has to be someone who actually cares about your well-being. Otherwise, they're not doing it from the right motivation to really be a mentor. I think a teacher and a mentor are different. One of the people I asked to kind of help mentor me is a very, very, very accomplished business person. And it's much more than business for them. They're actually speaking into my life decisions that I make, helping me be, you know, a man of character and have that project and help make every other aspect of my, of my life become more fruitful. And man, I just, I feel bad for people who don't view that opportunity and seize that opportunity. I don't even think I really got into that stage until I was in my late thirties or maybe later. I don't know, but I really wish I had adopted that earlier. And I think the most successful people in the world are the ones that have a band of mentors around them in different Mm -hmm. areas and aspects because they propel you. You're there like slingshots. I'll agree with all that. Cause I I guess the person I was thinking of just a second ago, like I would say that I have learned a lot from them, but I don't know that in hindsight, I would say, boy, what a mentor they were to me. They took me under their wing. And like, Mm -hmm. there's a, I do think mentor implies some sort of care that maybe friend isn't the right word maybe you know but they care about you i think is an important part of it they care about your your well-being or your future or whatever the role of that mentorship is and it could be that they're just wanting to give back to the world Mm -hmm. and it's not about you a mentor i think also just to continue this i think has to maintain a certain distance Mm -hmm. so that their perspective is not skewed and they become biased Right. I think part of the value of a mentor's view is that they actually have balance between distance in their proximity and being close. And that's kind of the relationship I have with the mentor I'm talking about. We stay connected, you know, chat every couple of weeks or, you know, months at the latest or at the furthest points. But it's not like every day because that's probably too much, but it doesn't go a year, you know. That's what it's like for me. I think it might be different for other people. Do you have more questions? I feel like we could yeah. just start spinning this off. Tom, you proposed a question that I really want to bring up again in the community that was, can someone be a mentor if you've never met them, spoken to them, and they have no idea that you exist? Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting concept because you're saying it's not a friend. You're saying there should be some distance, but you're both saying it should be someone who cares about you. I don't know if I agree. Yeah, I don't know if I I necessarily think that either. I don't know, because I feel like the majority of my learning has happened from people who don't know I exist. I would rather learn. I have problems, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Most of you know this. I have a hard time taking people's criticism, perhaps, and I just don't ask for it intentionally because I don't want to hear it very much. If someone tells me something, I will say, I hear your words. And then I will choose later if I want to implement that or not implement that. And so I actually intentionally kind of put up walls around people who I 
have relationships with because I don't want their input. There is a very small section of people who I am the most close to who I do accept that from. You know, I have some friends who I've had since grade school who have known me all growing up. They, I might go to and say, here's my situation. What's your opinion? But I think it's because there's this very, very big sense of vulnerability that I I know no matter what, whether I do or don't do what they say, they're going to love me and approve of me. And that for me is required to actually be able to ask for input. I don't like people telling me what to do. I talked to my mom about this and she's like, well, what are your Enneagrams again, Lace? I'm like, okay, I'm a three and a seven, right? So I'm a very high achiever with very high independence. And she's like, that's exactly what you're communicating right now. You want this level of independence where nobody can control your behavior, but you still want to learn, 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 Mm. learn as much as possible. So my mentor doesn't tell me what to do. My mentor listens and gives me a different frame to think about it in. Sometimes I'll bounce ideas off and he will say, well, what I've seen in the past is when people do something like that, this may happen. And in some cases this will happen. And here's kind of my gut on those types of things. But it is never, in my experience, it's never been a situation where I ask them what to do and they tell me. I don't think that's possible. I don't want somebody to tell me how to live my life. I want somebody to help me frame the things that I'm seeing so that I can see them from other perspectives. Casey Peterson from the community said, I believe a good mentor is someone who allows you to ask questions and allows you to answer them yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say I'm a little bit like you in that. I don't really like being dictated to. It puts me on the defensive, I think. I've learned to kind of back off a little bit with that. Like I'm not as strong as I used to be. I used to be really kind of strong. Well, I'm still fairly strong-willed, I guess. But I'm a little more hesitant to overlook words now. I think I let them soak a little bit longer before I make a decision. And even if someone tells me what to do, I try to look at why, because they don't have any power over what I actually do. So I realize where the power is now. I do wonder a little bit if part of it is being young and female, that I feel like I have to put up these, because there is a bit of a difference between if you're Mm -hmm. expected to follow direction or not. Mm -hmm. If I'm honest. I think that's pretty legitimate. Mm -hmm. Historically for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's changing now, but it's definitely been a long grind. It has been a lot of women. Yes. I identify where you're coming from. Not, you know, the woman part, which I think is super legitimate. Our Enneagram numbers are very similar. Mm -hmm. And like it was a major revelation for me early in my life or 20s really to realize like the value in letting people invest in you and letting people teach you things even things that i knew you know like you know if someone's trying to teach you something they are giving something of themselves to try to invest in you, in me. So when someone's trying to teach me something, they're trying to invest something in me and nothing is gained from me saying, yeah, I know, mm-hmm. you know, or I know yeah, how to do that right. already. Mm-hmm. Like, even if I do know that, like just shutting up about that and letting them explain it to me. So now they feel personally invested in my journey and my success is now in part because of what they taught me. Now they are invested in bringing more success to me because it is in part 
something that they have helped create and foster and it makes them feel good. It makes the whole situation more positive. And that was something that like, as someone who was in more of a, you know, lower ranking being led role in many walks of life, whether, you know, work or school or family and any relationship, that was something that I like, once I figured that out, many things changed for me. Where are we at on your questions? What am I supposed to be answering right now? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of been going through some of the quotes that people have saying, mm. so there's no open question right now. What I want to speak into that reminds me from one of the quotes here of what you said is that Isaac Villa said how important it is to pour into someone when you've experienced growth and development thanks to others. And so I think of it similarly, you know, when you let someone pour into you that way and you grow, then you have something to pour into other people. And it's this nice, beautiful cascade of knowledge and information. I think if your water gets stagnant because you just receive, it's not as healthy as if you receive and you also pour out, right? There's like a, like a healthy flow of water. That's just kind of a strange analogy that you brought to mind. I think many people and I for many years, very stagnant. And it's interesting because you're right. These people invest in you for no return other than what they're hoping to put forth through you. Mm -hmm. And that also is a reward in itself, knowing that they've touched someone else. Let them give. Let them have the joy of giving. And I think sometimes we can take that away from them by how we receive it. And I think it's best to just receive it with open arms and just, you don't have to necessarily enact everything. Yeah, I'm quite bad at that. I will, you know, if, if it's not solicited to get somebody's advice and they give me advice or they give me, you know, mentor lessons, I'm usually very resistant because I'm like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> and therefore, why are you giving it to me? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think both of you hit it on the head talking about, you know, that is their love language. And you should let them love the way they like to love. And, you know, Mark, like you were saying, it's your choice whether or not you want to act on it. Totally. I, I feel that. I feel that same thing. It's like, I'm going to fail. I want to fail on my own because it was me who failed. I will figure out how I failed and I'll just get back up and keep walking. And so that's always been my trajectory for so long that it's really hard to accept those things and process those. Now, we are talking about a mentorship, right? So this is setting an agreement together with someone else that this is what's going to take place. This is not well, unsolicited feedback. I mean, that's a feedback. definition of it. Well... Because we're defining really what mentorship is, what, what mentors we've had. So in some cases, a mentorship can be an agreement between the two people. What I'm saying it probably isn't is me telling you what you need to do, mm -hmm. right? Because I know the right way. I've been around a little longer than you. And what you really need to do is this, and I'm here to fix your problem. That's not going to be received well by pretty much anyone. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, every time it's always like, that's the way my brain is like, they're telling you what to do. But I realize that that is just a stupid switch I have in my head that I have to like turn off. I think it's called like humility or something. I don't know. I'm working on it. So maybe part of the definition for mentorship is that both parties agree that that's what's happening. Yeah. In that case, so then here's the question. Could we all say that we have mentors or have had mentors? Because if you put it in that definition, I'm not sure that I have that relationship where there's an agreement between people that I'm under their wing and their wing is what I'm under. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've had less than I would like to have had. Mm -hmm. And as you know, now, one, now that I've reached a point in my career and all these different walks of life, like I'm realizing how much 
that has been something that I have missed in my life is having more people to have that sort of spoken or unspoken agreement with. I can point at a couple, Mm -hmm. but one thing that's interesting to me, and I'm just going to throw this out there and it's going to seem like really vain and weird, but just go with me and maybe you identify with this. I have felt like in a way, and just please just go with me on this. (laughs) So I have found myself playing a mentor role far more often than I have been the mentee. And often what I find is in being a mentor, I end up mentoring myself Mm. with this vision that I'm putting forward. Mm. Like, okay, I'm in this position where I need to be a mentor to these people that are here because if we don't like, this is a, you know, I've, been in other careers that are way more physically difficult and like mindsets are required and people aren't going to get through the day if we don't like if you don't inspire get everyone inspired and on the same page and change mindsets and change the way that people are approaching things and so like mentorship required right now and i start thinking in ways of doing that i become like this other version of myself that i'm creating to be the mentor (laughs) i like end up becoming my own mentor in this Mm -hmm. sort of weird way Mm -hmm. but I understand that. Absolutely. I agree that good or not, I think I've been in a mentor type relationship more than a mentee type relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Because I would say that I absorb so much information and data from what I research and from the people that I'm around without it being a mentorship. But then I'm also like a consultant for many people and they pay me to come in and consult them. And it ends up being like a mentorship because we don't talk about just what we're consulting on. It's like all of life that we end up talking about together. You know, I had a teacher once and I don't remember any of my teachers. I know a lot of people are very fond about their teachers. I just, my entire like schooling growing up, I don't remember anyone. I don't know what that's about, but I have this one teacher who was either named Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Clark. <laughs> um, but she sometime in the first like week or two of school pulled me and this other guy out of standard class and she put us in this corner of the room. And I think she was an English teacher. And she just put this big giant stack of books on the table. And she said, I don't want you to do anything else that's happening in this class for the entire rest of the year. I want you to just read these books. And if you start reading one and you find you don't like it, to heck with that book, start a different book. And Mm -hmm. just pour into these stories and these worlds and these words, love them, and just pour your passion into this creativity and let it pour into you and just love this. And she said, if you take nothing away from my class other than having done some amazing reading and loving the written word, like that will be the greatest victory of my teaching, you know, career Mm -hmm. or whatever. And all we did for that entire year was, you know, once a week or I I would go and sit with her and she would ask me what I was reading and what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it and how it influenced my writing and the way that I think about words in the world. And she would talk to me about her thoughts on what languages and words and conventions and things like that. And then I'd just be sent off to read some more. And like, I felt very much just loved and supported and guided by her to like do this weird thing that she came up with. She was 
probably four or five years past when she should have retired. It was probably a health insurance thing. Like she, <laughs> she just did not care. Oh, you know, Smith she, Clark. she, wa- <laughs> she just wanted to do the most co- good she could do. And she couldn't give a rat's wahoo about whatever she was supposed to be doing as a teacher. She just you wanted know. you to stop hitting the other kids. Well, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so this was sometime in high school, but yeah. Yeah. When you asked about mentors, she was immediately the first person that came to mind. Like someone who really took me alongside them and said, Hey, let's really invest in you together. And like, let me kind of like show you the way a little bit and reframe your thinking. Stop thinking about language that way. Stop thinking about all these conventions about writing that have been put in your head by school to heck with all that. Like words are just art. You know, you can do whatever you want with them. Like she, so much of how I approach things that I do here in my career, I learned from her in this random year in high school Mm -hmm. talking about like Neil Gaiman and Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. It just... I don't know. There's an element of mentorship or mentor that I think requires an element of sacrifice on the mentor's part. So if you look at a counselor or you look at a teacher, you know, they're compensated for what they do. You know, your doctor is there to help you. He's getting paid or she's getting paid. But what you just described is somebody who's getting paid that still went above and beyond and maybe cared or motivated to really come around you in a mentor type fashion that cost more or pulled more out of her. And I think that's an aspect like she went beyond teacher to mentor. She wasn't just performing the duties of her paid position. Right. And I think like some therapists and some counselors, I could see them being really kind of playing the role of a mentor more so than just getting paid and going through, you know, the curriculum that they have been taught to read and recognize and prescribe. And the same with a doctor, right? If you get a doctor or a PA or somebody else who's actually genuinely interested in helping you be healthy instead of just prescribing what the book says, Mm -hmm. that becomes more of a mentor. And I think, you know, I went to the dentist yesterday and I'm always kind of looking to get the same hygienist every time because I'm hoping that they can kind of become my mentor and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, you saw me six months ago and you saw me six months before that and you know my progression can you take this health journey with me and be my mentor? I know you're getting compensated. It's not like, I don't care about that. Do you actually care about another human being? And I think if we all kind of apply that, we might all kind of adopt a mentorship mindset that goes outside of the agreement. I'm going to agree to be your mentor. You're right. I think there's kind of two, maybe two types of mentor. I also really like the way that she approached that. I'll use the word passive, but you know, she didn't dictate to you this is what you're going to get out of doing this exercise. She knew the end result, what was it going to be, but she ultimately gave you the keys to the Camaro and said, tell me what you find. See you on the other side. Well, it was very similar, I think, to what Mark was describing earlier, where it wasn't necessarily like, here's exactly how you should think, and here is the lesson on how to perform this operation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't training. It was mindset and inspiration. Setting on a journey. And I think, especially in a career, like there is a role in being a mentor in teaching someone the actual ins and outs of performing a task. If that's part of the thing that they're mentoring you around, but there needs to be more to it than that. It can't just be, you know, like I'm going to train you how to build a building. Yes. That's an important part of bringing someone up in the ways of building a building, but not as important of the mindset behind it and the Mm -hmm. attitude behind it and how to get through the day and how to think about the work that you're doing in your life doing it. And there is an interesting question that we're circling around now, though, like 
if there is an author and I have read it's exactly where I was just about every to go. single one of their books, I've watched their masterclass, I've listened to thousands of hours of their podcast. Like my life has been measurably touched by what they've spoken into it. Are they my mentor? It sounds yeah. like we're because I think I would say yes. yes. Even if it's not a two-way relationship, I think when you create enough time that you listen to and think and soak in the knowledge and information and expertise that has come from someone else and their sharing, I think that that is a form of mentorship. I would disagree with all y'all. I think mentorship is a relationship between, it goes both ways. I think you can receive from an influence like that and have them impact your life that they don't even know. And I don't really think that they could call themselves a mentor if they were unaware of your situation because they're not necessarily making the choice to speak into your life. That's just my view. And I'm going against all three of you here. I can tell it, you. It's interesting. Me down. I asked the question. I didn't express a position. Yeah. So don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting though, before we move on to the next question, you know, as media changes, and I'm always going to reflect this back to technology because that's what my degree's in, but nerd, nerd, but you know, I think, are we redefining what it means to be a mentor? That's what I'm thinking. Cause because, I, like, like social media influencers can yeah. look at, at the screen and say, good morning today, yeah. everyone. I love you. Or like podcasts. I mean, this podcast, are there people listening to this podcast that look at us as mentors? Does that make us their mentor? If they want us to be there, if they perceive us That's as That's an being interesting a question because what is our intent behind this conversation? Mm-hmm. Like, we are taking the time and pouring out into whomever is listening. The audience that we have in our mind about mm-hmm. who they are. But I honestly don't know where I land on this side of this thing. I don't feel like there's a good enough title for what you would call the type of research and relationship, one-way relationship that can be built with as much content as available on the internet right now. I mean, traditionally, I will have always thought of a mentor as exactly what Mark is describing. Yes. Like, Agreed. it is a relationship. Agreed. But if I think about, like, the people who are speaking into my life the most right now, it's people that I'm reading and listening to. Mm-hmm. And it's making me wonder if my idea of what a mentor is is migrating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me challenge this a little bit. Okay, let's hear it. Because I feel like a mentor has some knowledge of you and are challenging you personally based on what they know so that they can actually guide you against your own tendencies and the things that are holding you back personally. Like when my doctor comes to me and tells me I need to drink more water, it's because he knows I'm not drinking enough water. I don't listen to a TED talk where the guy says, everybody needs to drink more water. Well, how does he know I need to drink more water? I think to be a mentor is a choice. I think we can be influenced in a similar fashion by anybody who, you know, anybody who writes a book or tells a story or does a podcast or writes a blog or something that touches you, that doesn't necessarily make them your mentor. That makes them an influence. A mentor is someone who has chosen to invest in you personally, you, Derek, you, Tom, you, Lacey has chosen you to give their time, to give their perspective, to help you on your idiosyncratic journey. I think the thing that I would fight to protect is because in this day and age, in this culture where we are, everything's digital, and I watch a million TED Talks, and I do the master classes and all the books, and 
I don't feel like those are my mentors because they don't know me. And I think as a human being, I long to be known and be accepted as okay for who I am. And my mentor can look at me and all my flaws and say, this is kind of what you did last time. And you said you were right last time. And then you came back and said, well, you shouldn't have done that, right? Like, so maybe we shouldn't do that this time. This is important because it definitely is way different than what we three are explaining well, as an idea. Well, I don't disagree with anything. I don't saying. either. Mm-hmm. So then that brings to the question, which is one of the ones that I had on here, which is, can you reach excellence without that type of mentorship, without somebody who knows you and can challenge you in that way? Can you reach excellence without that? I was rattling around that around in my brain as well. I'm not sure I have a concrete answer. I would say that there's probably an element there that you need to have somebody who can take an objective look at you, like Mark was saying about, you know, understanding who you are from a third person perspective and really be analytical and candid about your flaws and where you can grow. So I don't, I don't think the answer is yes, I think you need to have that. But at the same time, I I think it's very interesting that there's so much content out there. There's so many people out there who are sharing their life experiences that can we reach a version of that? Mm -hmm. I think anyone's capable of anything and any of us can achieve excellent with just what's inside us. Agreed. Now, that doesn't mean it wouldn't be a heck of a lot easier humbling yourself before some mentors and it doesn't necessarily mean you couldn't be more excellent with the influence of mentors. And that's a point that I think we hit on here is that for many people, I think we don't seek out mentors because it does take a very strong sense of humility and vulnerability. There were a few people within the community that said, I never reached out to a mentor or asked for help because I was too shy. I never felt comfortable or good enough to ask for somebody's time, which is, I think, what a lot of people experience. Mm -hmm. Well, and which is validation to what Mark is arguing for as a definition for a mentor is that someone is giving you personal time. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of validity to that because if I am to sit down and I decide my goal in life is to help as many people as possible and inspire as many people as possible and I start a YouTube channel and all I want to do is pour light and love and positivity and growth into the world through my YouTube channel, I am giving time and I am pouring myself out there, but I'm pouring myself out to no one in particular. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a difference. My mentor addressed this specifically. One of the very first things I asked him to be my mentor. I asked him, I said, look, I know you're really busy, extraordinarily busy. He told me two things. He said, I say no 95% of the time. And I have trained myself to not give a reason why anymore. And then the second thing he said is the answer to every unasked question is no. So he said, the fact that you're asking me puts you in the arena. So to the people who have been too shy or too scared to ask, my advice is do it anyway. Because the answer is no until you ask. That's my point, I guess. It's a very good point. I have to say that I'm definitely in that boat. You know, I I agree that it takes a certain level of vulnerability that maybe I'm not ready to do yet. And maybe I'm not ready to do it for a while now at this point. But acknowledging that and then reaching out and asking, I think that's a very important thing to make. And then ultimately, the worst thing that you can do is say no. I think I've got a couple steps of humility that I have to get to to feel like I'm ready to ask for real help. Any type of 
situations that I put myself in with a, a counselor or a business consultant, you know, relationships that I have and I've cultivated over a long period of time, I end up creating relationships with people who will just sit and listen to me talk for a long time because that's how I process. And that's, I don't think that's the same as a mentorship. You know, it's not, it's more like a space for me to get my own thoughts and feelings out and then look at them and say, okay, am I crazy about anything? Making and they're like, faces. no, you're okay. You know, and that is different than a mentorship. And it's just, I have this wall or this shield up that keeps me from wanting somebody else's mentorship at this point. When did that change for you? So you asked for a mentorship. At what point in your career and your age were you when you said, I'm ready, really need some help? The point I was at was when I just became what I describe as broken. When I just decided I don't want to do anything unless I can do kind of what I was made to do. I don't know when that moment was, but my eyes were open and I'm like, okay, I'm just tired of trying to please people. It's not about me, but I just don't care anymore. Like I have to, I can't not do the thing that I have to do. I have to be creative and this is who I am and I know who I am. I want to not be caught where I've been. If you want to change, you can't do the things you've always done, right? Mm -hmm. You have to do new things. And so who can help me break my bad habits and my bad routines is somebody who's seen a lot more than I have and somebody who has more experience than me. I don't even remember why or when I asked. I said, hey, can I get your time? And at the time he was like, yeah, I'm available in like five weeks, like put it on the calendar. And so we had this thing, I'm like mm -hmm. five weeks, this guy's really busy, mm -hmm. you know? And that's kind of how that one came out. I think fear is the thing that holds people back from any of this fear or misunderstanding, right? If you don't understand what it is or really can't grasp the definition of what, you know, what a mentor can be for you or what the value is, then you wouldn't be motivated to do it. And if you are motivated to do it, the only thing that is holding you back is fear based on whatever it might be. I don't think it's a humility thing with you. It might be something else. That's just my sense because I think you are very humble. Just fiercely independent. <laughs> that for sure too. I think it probably depends to a degree on the context of what you're talking about. In what role is this mentor involved in your life? Are we talking about work? Are we talking about you know, parenting or whatever. Mm -hmm. I will circle back to this for and just uh, this kind of restating what I said earlier, but someone needs this career advice. Like if you are at work in some business that has a ladder and you are trying to get a promotion, I guarantee you the fastest way to climb that ladder is not prove how good you are at everything. It is let the people directly above you that are in charge of your promotion teach you things because then when they feel like they've taught you everything that they know and then they promote you, what they are promoting is look what I have made. Like mm -hmm. this is my achievement advancing Tom through the ladder because I have created him. He's mine. <laughs> and, and it is so freaking true. People will feel so much more invested in your success if they feel like it is part of like them. Like they contributed. Yeah, as opposed to the person that comes in there and I was this way for a lot of years and just tried really hard to show how capable you are so that everyone's impressed so that they advance you. That's threatening mm. as opposed to feeling like yeah. they're invested in you. And there's mm. a BS way to do that. And there's a genuine way to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'll just leave it there. That's true of most things. <laughs> <laughs> I think any real mentorships I've really had, I've snuck my way into and the other person just didn't know. 
Like for instance, Mark. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I think honestly in my career, Mark, that you're probably one of my biggest career mentors, but not because I've ever said like here's our mentorship, right? It's like, I've just attached myself to what they're doing and observe, observe, absorb, absorb, and then do it in my own. And I maybe I don't even say thank you. So thank you. I'm, <laughs> it was against my will. So, I mean, I think we've already broken that first rule of like, this is an agreement. I just snuck my way in <laughs> and then I just steal the information and, you know, contribute what I can and take and apply in my own situations. I think that was probably an unspoken arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> there is an interesting like side conversation to this on can a group of people like mm. this office mm -hmm. become a sort of quasi co-mentorship thing. Mm. That's exactly where I was going. Is it? Take it there because I have to go to the bathroom. Well, it's a P2. Can too. we just, okay, 30 second break. <laughs> I think here we are invested in each other. Some of it is self-motivated, right? Like we want to do better for ourselves. So we kind of invest in each other. Some of it isn't because we've grown to know and, and love each other and all that. And I think we do mentor each other every day. I agree. It's probably not a verbal agreement. You know, like we're going to mentor. I'm going to mentor you now, Derek. And mm -hmm. Derek, you're going to mentor me tomorrow. Please <laughs> sign on the mentor line. Right. <laughs> or the hamster cage. <laughs> but I do think it's a role that we should be more aware of in our lives when we are on the receiving end, when we are on the giving end, and probably choose to play both of those roles well, because being on the receiving end is probably going to make you a better giver, a better one on the giving end. And not having enough mentors means that you think you can do it kind of yourself. And it's very kind of insular and very independent. And I think, you know, the more that we're interconnected and the more that we're interdependent, the stronger we become and the smarter we become. So yeah, I look at our small team and it's easy. And I think if there were 400 of us, it would be more challenging and probably also more necessary. So it'll be interesting as we grow to kind of adopt and hold, you know, policies and mindsets that help people invest in each other in that way. Debbie from the community, my mom, also said when I talked to her about it, she runs an emergency department in Portland, Oregon. And so it's her job as new people are hired in to actually set up kind of like mentorship relationships between employees. And what she communicated is that in order to have this mentorship relationship be successful, it just has to be a vulnerable place of knowledge sharing. And that was, I thought, a really, really good definition is this vulnerable relationship with the intent of knowledge sharing. And I think that is what happens in a lot of team situations, naturally or intentionally. There's a, a good chunk of the book, Creativity Inc., that talks about their brain trust, quote unquote, which is made up of all of their big wigs, essentially big creative types over at Pixar, but they have that same relationship set up, but built around candor, the ability to, you know, be critical or help people with the ultimate goal of making them better or making the creative product better. Well, and in a group mentorship setting, co-mentorship, co-mentee environment, it really gets down to the question of like, do we want to get where we're going or do we want to like, feel good about ourselves <laughs> yeah insecurely beat our chest about where we are right now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like let's get where yeah. we're going mm -hmm, instead mm -hmm. of trying to prove how great we are in this moment mm -hmm. let's be more great in the next moment Ooh, that like, brings up a really important point in what a mentorship relationship would be is like do we have a shared goal for where you're going right because perhaps that's 
what maybe keeps me from aligning with mentors is that I don't trust that necessarily they know as well as me where I want to go and where I plan to go. And I don't really want to get off course based on what somebody else sees and thinks about where I should go. Well, I don't think a mentor should be defining your goals for you. I think a mentor should be asking you if you have goals Mm -hmm. and helping you reach them. I think defining goals is a very undervalued part of everything that we do in all of our life. Truth. The value of the mentor is their perspective. And sometimes it's further down the road that you're on. And sometimes it's on a different road. Either way, they're able to give you vantage points that you don't have so that you can make the best decision for you. I don't think it's ever their decision. And I don't think my mentor knows this. And and I feel very lucky because I have kind of a very accomplished mentor who's seen a lot of things. And like, I know I'm in an elite group. Your mentor is better than and, my mentor. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I don't see any of this as a mentor telling you how to do it. It's maybe you should watch out for the snakes if you go to this area because they're rampant, right? And you didn't plan for that. Um, you were like, I do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next call is like, how do you deal with a venom? <laughs> Listen, unrelated. <laughs> yeah. I will say in retrospect at where I'm at in my life, there is no point at which you know more than everybody else in your entire life. There's always somebody who knows more than you and can help you make better decisions. More information leads to better decisions. And I look back on some of the things that I've been mentored on and I think, Oh, if I would have known that 10 years ago, it would have saved me two years of my life. What's that worth? Was that worth a 45 minute call or a 10 minute call? But would you have taken that information and done with it then? What exactly? I mean, you can't Mm -hmm. go back and, reframe yourself although i think about that i I was like but time travel (laughs) but time travel let's talk about the portal all right well i think that we have conversed about this very well today i'm happy with the discussion does anybody have any points that they still feel like need to be made excellent conversing everyone yes Mm -hmm. good job great conversing my converser (laughs) box is Thank you for listening to my problems. <laughs> it's like every podcast is. <laughs> Thank Mark's you for coming problems. to Orange Nebula Group <laughs> Therapy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for group therapy. Well, good job today, the three of you. I'm happy to have you here. Um, this was fun. I hope that people listening can get something out of it. If you enjoyed this conversation and you're listening and you think of other people who might be able to resonate with this, you might share this link with them. Of course, our uh, marketing department has told us we have to tell you to rate, subscribe, and comment on our content. <laughs> Smash. Um, that like button yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for really, um, if you could that'd be that'd be super yeah bad. really do really though smash it <laughs> and we'll continue the conversation more within the outpost community group so if you want to join more in the conversation then we'll see you there and check back there for the questions that are before podcasts if you want some of your quotes to be in the conversation here that's the best place to do it so. you want us to butcher your opinions on things <laughs> We got you. <laughs> all right. We appreciate you all so much. I appreciate you three so much. We appreciate and, and you, let's, let's get to snack time, shall we? Snacks. Thank right. you, my mentor. You know who you are. All right. I will talk to everybody later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh.
Oh, now I can sense him walking up behind me. Dad and out of control. <laughs> Maximum overdrive. Dad. Dad. Dad drive. Dadsimum. Dadsimum. <laughs> Maximum dads. Maximum dads. <laughs> <laughs>